This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone. It's Philip Mock with the Retirement Detective Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to investigate a way that you can take a charitable deduction potentially without even having to itemize your deductions, but instead taking the standard deduction. We're going to look at this in detail in today's episode. Now first, before we go into the material for today's episode, I would like to clear up something from the prior episode that I didn't say all that clearly and even borderline said incorrectly, so I'd like to clear that up. If you were an early listener to the episode, I had a bit of a a hiccup in there that I wanted to clear up. I did take care of it and edit it for later downloaders. So if you downloaded it later in the day, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. You didn't hear it. But if you were one of the earlier downloaders from last week's episode, I wanted to clear up something on spousal benefits for Social Security. If, and to recall the vernacular from our prior episode, you have the the earner spouse and then the the spouse that takes benefits off the earning spouse's benefits is the one that's getting the spousal benefits. And it, you know, could be both spouses at one point or another, but that just helps to identify one from the other. And I want to make it clear that a the spousal benefits are based on what the primary earner's benefits would be at full retirement age. It's based on their primary insurance amount. If the spouse that's taking spousal benefits retires early, those benefits can be reduced. But the earning spouse, the primary spouse in this example, if they take their benefits early, that singularly does not impact the spousal benefit. And I didn't say that very clearly in the last episode. I talked about the fact that if both spouses take their benefit early, it would be effectively sort of like a double whammy, double reduction. And I, it, it's not that it would doubly reduce the spousal benefit. What I was trying to articulate is that if both spouses take benefits early, each of their individual benefits would have a reduction. And therefore, it's like a, a double reduction or maybe not double in math terms, but there would be two reductions it's not that the spousal benefit would be doubly reduced. So to say it one more time, spousal benefits are based on really two factors. Three, did the um, the primary earner qualify for Social Security? Then it's based on their primary insurance amount, which is the amount they would get if they retire at full retirement age. And it also has to do with whether or not the spouse receiving benefits retires early. But the primary earner retiring early 
does not impact spousal benefits. So wanted to make that clear. Even I got caught up in my own words just to prove that it is a challenging topic and I encourage you to do your own research and to talk to your local social security office to make sure you get it right because it is easy to get caught up in all the rules as I did. So I apologize for not being clear and just wanted to clear that up. Let's look at today's episode. So normally on your tax return, and we're talking a lot of taxes today, so I just want to remind everybody that I'm not giving uh, specific tax advice for any one person out there. I don't know your situation. Um, I'm just going to kind of walk through what the the law says, and then it's up to you to apply it to your own facts and circumstances and to talk to your your CPA or your enrolled agent or your accountant that does your taxes and see if maybe it's applicable to you. On your normal tax return, you have something called the standard deduction. So after all of your income is added up, typically on you know in the up until a couple of years ago, we'd say it was all on the front page of the return. Then they went to that short form return, which is kind of unique. The, the old school type return had a front page, which was basically mostly income and then a few deductions. And then the back page was your more deductions and then um, total tax due and, and all the supplemental schedules fed into those two pages. And that was the 1040. On that second page, there's you either have a standard deduction or you itemize. And the new tax law has made the um, standard deduction quite large. So let's say you're a married filing jointly couple, you have $100,000 of income, the standard deduction for 2023 for married couples filing jointly is 27700 If you had $100,000 in joint income at the bottom of Form 1040, and then you go to the next page, if you didn't have enough itemized deductions to exceed 27700 you would have a standard deduction for your joint couple self of 27000 700. So you take 100,000 minus 27,700 and that's your income assuming there's no other deductions or anything like that and no credits and and that's the base from which they calculate your tax. Now buried in the itemized deductions are things like property tax, medical expenses subject to some limitations, charitable deductions some things like your mortgage interest, for instance. Those are the things that make up this kind of big basket of things called itemized deductions. And a lot of them have some some limitations associated with them. But with the new tax law that, that made the standard deduction a much larger number, many people find themselves in a position where they maybe were itemizing. You know, maybe they own their home and had a mortgage and made some charitable deductions and if you're at a you know a, a mid-level bracket income level, kind of in the the 24, 32 or higher bracket, um, you know that's a, a joint income exceeding you know about two hundred thousand dollars. Be pretty easy to hit those under the old tax rules when the standard deduction threshold was much lower. But now that it's twenty-seven thousand seven hundred, a lot more people are taking that standard deduction. 
So for some people that were charitable and made charitable donations, those were once deductible, but really are not anymore. I mean, they're still technically deductible, but whether or not you made the donation, your tax return might come out the same because the standard deduction is so big that you just end up taking the standard deduction anyway. But it's important to cover that to set up the main topic of today's episode, which says if you're taking the standard deduction, there is still a way to get a charitable deduction and take the standard deduction. But it admittedly does not apply to everybody, and it's only going to apply to sort of a small subset of people, and let's walk through it. So the strategy that I'm referring to here is perhaps one you're familiar with, but it's called the Qualified Charitable Distribution, and it's a a way to transfer funds directly from your IRA to a qualified charity. It's different than taking a charitable deduction as part of your itemized deductions on the second page of the tax return. This is actually an even better way because it reduces your income. So it's not a deduction, it reduces your income. And in doing so, it, it does lower your income for the purposes of taxes, but since it's an income reduction, it also lowers your, your AGI, which is your adjusted gross income. And adjusted gross income is typically at the bottom of the first page Back when it was the two-page 1040, it was at the bottom of the first page. And many, many other tax things use AGI as part of its calculation to kind of determine where you are in terms of income. So reducing your income, reducing your AGI, is, is more effective in most cases than taking a larger itemized deduction because the itemized deduction comes in after AGI. Now, in order to do this, you have to meet a few criteria. First of all, a qualified charitable distribution only comes from an IRA. So you have to have an IRA, okay? So that's that's number one. And you have to be charitable. You obviously want to um, give to charity, so that's another threshold. Now, here are the key ones. You must be at least 70 and a half or older to make the qualified charitable distribution. Now, 70 and a half used to be the threshold for required minimum distributions. However, under the new tax law, they've moved, the original SECURE Act moved required minimum distributions to age 72. And then the new SECURE Act 2.0, which is part of the, um, law that passed at the end of 2022 moved it up to 75 for people beginning in 2033. What did not change though is the age for QCDs. So even though the IRA required minimum distribution age moved up to 75, the QCD age is still 70 and a half. So you can still do the qualified charitable distribution strategy if you're 70 and a half, you do not have to be 72 or 75. You have to be 70 and a half. There is a limit. And currently it's $100,000 per year. 
that you can effectively reduce what would otherwise be IRA income. So let's say you take, you have two scenarios. Let's say scenario A, you make a $100,000 distribution from your IRA, and then you decide to donate it to charity. And let's assume there's no taxes withheld. In that scenario, you took money out of your IRA, you put it in your own bank account, and then you wrote a check from your bank account to the charity. So on the front page of your tax return, it's going to show at least $100,000 of income. And on the back, you're going to, um, well, in this case, you'd actually be limited because there are charitable deduction limits within the itemized deductions. So you'd probably get, um, you'd have to carry some of that over. I didn't really set up a great example here. But the point is that the deduction comes after AGI and you still have to show that income. So let's say you had $200,000 of income from somewhere else. Well, now that's $300,000 of income and that's gonna put you, I believe, in the 24% bracket. Now, if you had just $100,000 of income from the IRA and maybe another 100,000 somewhere else, that's still in the 24% bracket. Now, with a QCD, kind of option B here, if you do the QCD where you, you pay the charity directly from your IRA, you don't it never hits your own bank account, then you do not have to report that QCD amount as income at all. So on the front page of your tax return, that 100,000 that went to the charity is not even on there, and you just have the other 100,000 or so of income that you had. And, and that's a pretty meaningful difference because after the standard deduction, that would actually put you in a lower tax bracket. You'd be in the, I believe, the 12% bracket at um, that point. So the qualified charitable distribution is really powerful because it reduces top-line income whether or not you itemize deductions. So if you make a qualified charitable distribution, you could still itemize if you had enough deductions to exceed the standard deduction amount of 27,720.23, or you could take the standard deduction if you don't have that many other deductions. But either way, it's a, it's a, it comes right off the top. It doesn't matter whether you use the standard deduction or the itemized deduction. You get this right off the top. It's, it just takes the income as if it didn't happen. And you want to work with your CPA because there is still some kind of other reporting that you have to do and you have to make sure it's done correctly at the custodian and coded correctly and all your, your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted, but it's totally doable. Now, few other key points. It is $100,000 maximum that you can do for a qualified charitable distribution, but beginning in 2024, that 100000 will indexed for inflation. So beginning in 2024, that amount will be a base amount of 100,000 and then also an extra whatever the number ends up being indexed for inflation. So let's just pretend it's 3%. We don't know yet what it really is, but let's pretend. So in 2024, it might actually be 103,000. That's the limit. Or if it's 4%, it might be 104. We'll have to we'll just have to see. If it's going to count for the current year, the money must come out of your IRA in that year. That seems pretty intuitive. Couple of things. Very key point on this. You must, must 
have the funds distributed directly from the IRA, from the custodian, to the charity. So the check has to be made out to the charity. It has to be wired to the charity. It has to be, you know, ACH'd to the charity. It has to be moved directly from the IRA to the charity. You cannot have the check made out to you. You deposit it in your bank account and then write from your bank account a check to the charity and call that a QCD. That is not. That does not work. It must be directly from the IRA distributed to the charity without ever stopping and landing in your own bank account. Now, a charity must be a 501c3 in order to qualify for the QCD. Some charities don't actually apply, uh, or some charities, excuse me, don't actually qualify. A couple that kind of stand out on that donor-advised funds, which are offered by a lot of the, the, the major custodians, those don't count. So you can't do a QCD to a donor-advised fund. You also cannot do a QCD to a, a private foundation. Now, there is a new, um, a new option in 2023 that you can use a QCD up to 50000 to fund a charitable remainder unitrust or charitable gift annuity or a charitable remainder annuity trust. And we kind of talked about that in an early episode of this podcast on Secure 2.0 changes. Um, That's a pretty complicated one. Um, You definitely want to talk to your estate attorney on that one. The QCD will come out on a form, so you'll, you'll have some record of this. Anytime you make a distribution from an IRA, the IRS, or I'm sorry, the custodian will, will issue form 1099-R and it will be most likely coded or should be coded as a normal distribution on the 1099. And your accountant will take that and, and make the appropriate um, notations in the tax return. So you'll have the evidence of the distribution. You'll want to keep records of where you made the donations. You would you know, need all the same things that you need for another or a, for an itemized type deduction donation. You, know, you need evidence that you made the donation, acknowledgement, um, preferably some sort of letter or receipt acknowledging that they received the donation and the amount and and all that good stuff. So a QCD and a regular charitable deduction really require the same type of record keeping. Uh, just the coding is going to be a little different because it's coming from an IRA, so you have a 1099-R that's going to show a distribution. Now, the last point I want to make here seems like it should be obvious, but I feel like it's still worth pointing out. If you make a charitable donation using a qualified charitable distribution from an IRA, you generally may not also take a charitable deduction from your itemized deductions for that same donation. You can't double dip. So if you record a donation as a qualified charitable distribution and it's not counting towards income, then you can't also put it in your itemized deductions. You don't get to double dip. That covers the major things. There are a few other quirks, such as uh, the ramifications of contributing to an IRA in the same year that you make a QCD. Now, everything we talked about, again, I said, as before, is is pretty tax-heavy. So 
before you ever consider any of this for your own self, I would talk to your tax advisor, talk to your CPA, talk to your estate planning attorney, decide if you qualify for this, decide if it's appropriate for you. It may not be. Um, QCDs are not a slam dunk every time, even if you meet the qualifications. Uh, it really depends on what else is happening in your tax return. That may not be the best strategy. So it's important to take a look at all of these strategies, such as the QCD, in concert with everything else that's going on on your tax return. You can't just say, well, this sounds like a great strategy. I'm going to go with that without looking at how it aligns with everything else that's going on on your tax return. But the QCD is a great way to be able to make a charitable contribution and have it be a effectively a deduction of your income on your tax return, even if you are taking the standard deduction, of course, as long as you meet the criteria that we talked about, which the main one is you have to be at least 70 and a half years of age. That's all for today's episode. I hope you found this to be helpful and I look forward to checking in with you for another episode next week. Take care. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of the Retirement Detective Podcast. The Retirement Detective Podcast is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. The Retirement Detective Podcast does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The Retirement Detective Podcast shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell securities or a solicitation for advisory services. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer, and any reference to such is for entertainment purposes only.